Hey everyone, this is Isaiah. Just wanted to let everyone know that this episode of the Parking Podcast, along with a few future episodes, they were all recorded and produced before the coronavirus outbreak in the U.S. Uh, so that explains why they're not mentioned in some of the, the latest episodes of the Parking Podcast. We do plan to keep putting out episodes of the podcast on our same schedule to hopefully uh, give you something to listen to while you're working from home or working or practicing social distancing. But we do hope that everyone out there stays safe, stays healthy, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Parking Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association of professionals in parking, transportation, and mobility. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Hello and welcome to The Parking Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the $100 billion parking industry and the people that make it go. I'm your host, Isaiah Mao, and this is The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. With us today is Vice President of Program Development at IPMI, who was also the 2012 Parking Professional of the Year, prolific author, and all-around wonderful human being, Rachel Yoka. How are you doing today, Rachel? I am fantastic. Thanks so much for asking. I can't remember what, I, what else you wanted me to say about you, but I hope you, you like those three. Uh, it's very complimentary. I'll take it. <laughs> Just kidding. Take it. All right. So let's jump right into this. I see from your LinkedIn, you graduated from Georgetown University. And what did you study? I have a degree in foreign service. It's a school of foreign service in international uh, relations. Hey, now you work for the International Parking and Mobility Mobility Institute. Institute. Yes, indeed, I do. That is not exactly how I planned it at the time. My plan was to go into the Foreign Service, meaning you work in the embassies or all over the world. And so that is not what ended up happening, and that's a long story, but I did really enjoy my time there in all things international and political. Were you there the same time Allen Iverson, my favorite basketball player, was there? I was... Did you ever go to any games? Or were you too busy? (laughs) Not a one. I didn't give a hoot. That's great. He scored a lot of touchdowns for the basketball team. So so. (laughs) So. that's about right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's funny. So how did you go from that to ending up in the parking industry? Well, it's a number of steps. I think like a lot of folks, uh, you know, you fall into the parking industry here and there. But I often joke about I was living in Washington, DC after Georgetown. I actually worked full-time at a brokerage firm my senior year of school. I had a lot of work experience, and I really wanted to go into international affairs, so I applied everywhere. And the joke is that I have literally been in every office building on an interview in Washington, D.C. that there is, and I I couldn't find the right job. I've been on hundreds of interviews. So, you know, I ended up um, working for the World Bank, uh, the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development for those sort of policy NGO wonks out there. And I worked in the office for the executive director for Japan and the executive director for Africa for years. And I enjoyed that. But I ended up going to a big E, little a firm. Uh, At the time, it was called Hagler by E, where I did energy and environmental consulting. And that is where I fell into marketing and proposals. So that was how, you know what I mean? I ended up going from there. And then when I moved back to Philly, found my calling, moved back to Philly in marketing, and eventually ended up at Tim Haas. And that was my entree into the parking world. And I remember interviewing with Tim and he, and I said to him, how is there enough work for a firm to specialize in just designing <laughs> parking garages? And of course, now many years in, I know the error of my ways, 
but it was a good question at the time. And I remember his answer. He was just like, healthcare, hospitals, airports, rich, rail, transit, corporate, you name it, everything's got parking. You know what I mean? So it's, it's both specific and general across multiple segments. And I was like, okay. So I've had a pretty good run, I'd say. I got to say, I'm flabbergasted. You, A person, we'll talk about kind of your impact on this industry and all that you do. You know, you've, you've written chapters, you've won awards, you're involved in everything. So you're obviously a doer, you get stuff done, you're, you're brilliant and you can't get a job. You, you, you interview and I have a similar story. I, I, I was in banking as like a teller. I applied for like the next step up, which was a personal banker. They, they said, no, I don't think you're, you have that type of, you're not that, you're not made up of that type of material. I, uh-huh. yep. I applied for like old Navy as a kid, 15 year old. <laughs> I did not get hired and all my friends were getting hired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Charlotte for an interview to, to advance in banking and didn't get hired. So it's like, I don't know if that put a chip on your shoulder. It might have with me, but I don't know. I just think it's crazy. You never know from an interview or from a, that person that's dying to get a job or that. I, I think I'm terrible at first impressions. So it's just like, I want to tell people like, give me a chance. I promise I'm going to crush this. I don't know if you had a similar uh, experience. Uh, you know, if you felt failure, not getting those jobs or just on to the next one. Well, and it's easy. It's better to get a job when you have a job, right? So I had a full-time job at the brokerage house while I was looking. So that wasn't necessarily, you know what I mean? Even coming out of college, like, you know, I could pay the rent, right? I also believe in an honest interview. Like, I want to tell you what I'm good at. I want you to know who I am. But at the same time, you know what I mean? I'm going to be fairly honest about what I enjoy, what I don't enjoy, whatever. And honestly, people are looking for you to lie. They're looking for you to, to fit the bill, right? To mm-hmm. fit yourself into that puzzle piece. And I wasn't willing to do that. And so I do try to take that in my hiring. You know what I mean? I don't look to take a person and necessarily fit them in a job. I look at the person and say, can we create an opportunity that fits where I am, wherever I am? Because I think that's how you miss out on amazing people, right? But I do believe in an honest interview. And I think if people didn't like me, I was like, well, if we're not going to like each other, then I don't want to work with you either. Yeah. (laughs) So it it works both ways, I think. That's that's a good Um, way of looking at it. Yeah. And I'm surprised I got some of the jobs that I have gotten in recent years. Just I've said stuff like, I don't want to be working 80 hours. I've got a family. <laughs> right, yeah. right. I don't want to be traveling everywhere. I, I don't like to travel, you know, so definitely believe in honest interviews. But yeah, I think there's a, just that matching and that skill set. But that's, we could talk about that all day. But so you get from uh, Tim Haas directly to IPMI? Correct. I was a sitting board member for the IPMI board of directors and transitioned to a staff member. And interestingly, I mean, it was the most natural jump. I have ever made because honestly, I was loving the volunteer work that I was doing for IPMI. And plus I knew the whole team, you know, I've been at Tim Haas at this point, 12 years. I knew Sean Nubani. I knew almost everybody on the team pretty well. And I knew exactly what I was jumping into. And I also knew that the organization was really poised for something pretty cool. There's a ton happening um, in the space. So I was like, this is a really good fit for me. And you said volunteer work. I don't think there's anyone that's volunteered more for this industry than you. I remember. That's actually how we met, I believe, the Green Parking Council, just getting involved. Right. You were running like five committees and, and all that. But I, I've, I've kind of had to learn to start saying no to some things in my, yes, in, in my yes. career. But I could say that if I've had any success, a lot of it is due to volunteering, just getting involved. For listeners out there that aren't involved, just getting on committees, working on projects, case studies, just a great way to meet new people and uh, oh, yeah. expand your expertise. I I think you're, I mean, Isaiah, I think it is the single best way to build your network. 
you know, you can go to the like social events or networking events and hand out business cards and have cocktails. That doesn't, I mean, it's nice and it's great. And you can absolutely build relationships and connections that way. But to actually get together, what, what committee it is, like we run the sustainability committee for IPI back in the day and the Green Parking Council. That group of people is still really, really well connected. You know, you work shoulder to shoulder for the same sort of end game objective. You got to know each other. You built your network. That becomes your tribe. You know what I mean? Sometimes you get a really nice fit. I definitely encourage, especially if you're young and hungry and up and coming, give your time. Like people want to get to know you, but it is a non-sales environment. It is a, you know, it is a safe environment where you're building community. So obviously our IPMI volunteers know that because they come out literally by the thousands every two years to join and, and volunteer with us. So I definitely echo that. Yeah. And all that volunteer work that you've been a part of that led to you winning the 2012 Parking Professional of the Year. And as a fellow alumni of the That's Parking right. Professional of the Year, That's so right. what, what was that experience like for oh. you? And what did that do oh. for your career? That was huge. First of all, it was an amazing surprise because I had no idea I was being nominated or I had been nominated. That's the difference huh? from us. I pretty much wrote my application. It's all good. Yeah. Hey, it doesn't matter how <laughs> it happens, I'm man. kidding. I'm kidding. But it was... It was it was not something I would have done at that time in my career. It was not something I would have done for myself. But, and of course, Megan Liner, you've already interviewed on the, on the podcast, did the whole thing in secret, total secret, had wow. no idea. And I got the letter and I, I was just beside myself. I was like, this can't be true. You know what I mean? And I, but a lot of it did come from that volunteer work and all that, that stuff and those connections that, that we had built over the years. And Oh, it was great. But getting on that stage at the IPMI conference and I'm sorry, IPI at that time at the conference and expo was as nerve wracking an experience as I have ever had. That general stage is tough to get up there. And I get a little more comfortable all the time when I have to, you know, go up there and make announcements or do presentations. Uh, But it's definitely something to conquer. That was the hardest part. Yeah, I remember, I think you can accept the world without giving a speech. And that's probably my natural inclination as an introvert that doesn't like uh, speaking in public, but I thought, you know, all the people that helped me get to where I am today, I would, it would be crazy for me not to take the time to, to thank some of them. So it just turned into a two minute thank you speech to, to it was great. The, yeah. it, it was great. And that's the thing. IPMI wants you to give the speech. We yeah. want to hear from you. You know what I mean? Like you guys are being celebrated at the top of your industry and of your game. And we kind of want to hear what you have to say. It doesn't yeah. have to be too long, right? But definitely want to want to get to the fo- folks to get to know you in the crowd who don't. Yeah. Well, speaking of recognition, IPMI and, and, and all that, I want to talk about APO. So APO standing for Accredited Parking Organization. That is something our company achieved. A lot of our clients were helping obtain that. Mm-hmm. But some people listening have no idea what APO means. So can you give us a teaser or an introduction on what APO is. I absolutely can. Um, So I think a lot of folks might be more familiar with CAP, which is the individual designation certification that an an individual holds. So if CAP is for people and Park Smart is for buildings, APO is for the organization as a whole, not the individual, but say the parking authority or a commercial operator or a university. So accredited parking organization was launched in 2015 after about three years of amazing work by an accreditation committee that I was not a part of, they came together to basically come up with over 200 criteria that would benchmark 
the industry. What does excellence look like in the industry? Um, there are two levels of accreditation. So there's accredited and then accredited with distinction. And that requires obviously a little bit of an extra um, lift or effort. We like to think that accreditation means that you're in the top 30% of the industry. And that accreditation with distinction means that you're in the top five to 10% of the industry as far as excellence benchmarking criteria. So it is a program like any other. It's like, it's a little bit like eating an elephant. You can't, it's not to be done overnight. It's not to be done over alone. It's definitely to be done as a team. But organizations that, there are tons of parking, transportation, and mobility organizations that do this really well every single day. And this is a terrific way to get credibility and recognition for your organization, especially in the face of difficult political circumstances sometimes. The parking authority isn't always the favorite on the street in the city. So it's a great way to say, this is important to how our city works. This is why we're a university, right? And say, we have met this criteria of excellence. I like what you said too. It's a win, you know, for that oh, yeah. public facing authority, for uh, organizations looking for more funding. It's a way to say, hey, look, we, we're achieving excellence. This is almost like justification that you're doing mm-hmm. a great job. And yeah, it meant a lot to our company. We actually have the with distinction. I think we did it in phases where we focused yep. on the basic and then went for the distinction. I love that expression. I use it every time I start talking about APO and I'm leading a group through it that uh, the only way to eat an elephant is a bite at a, at a time yes, or the, yes. the uh, journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. So mm-hmm. it's a big, pr- it's not hard. It's just time consuming. There's like you said, 200 criteria. Just, yeah. That seems like a lot, but what if you did two a day, you're done and I'm not good at right. math, but a hundred days. You know? <laughs> so that's what we yeah. did. We just set little objectives and I hate to put you on the spot, but can you think of like certain criteria that to give our listeners an idea of what are these criteria that they have to prove that they're doing? Sure, absolutely. So there are actually 25 required criteria. So those are pretty basic. You know, you do not pass go (laughs) if you don't have these 25 required criteria. And they are fairly simple. I'll give you the idea of section 10 is environmental, essentially sustainability, right? And so there are two required criteria on that, 10.1 and 10.2. So 10.1 just reads, demonstrates the strategic commitment to environmental sustainability. So what we have said is, this is an objective, this is a criteria, how you document it is up to you. We tell you generally what we want you to go for, but we don't tell you how you need to get to it. We don't tell you you need to install LEDs or really, really energy efficient lighting. We don't tell you that you have to put a green roof on your facilities. Either one of those actions would satisfy 10.1. You know what I mean? But even, you know, charging for parking, some of those other criteria also go into that. So these aren't necessarily hard criteria. They are just things that need to be documented. So, so for example, 10.2 says demonstrates implementation of sustainable practices that showcase a direct reduction in energy or resource use, meaning we're cutting pollution, we're cutting energy usage, we're cutting costs even, right? That is a resource. So how can you say that you have a single sustainability practice in your entire organization that shows a direct reduction in energy or resource use? Obviously, lighting and, you know what I mean, really efficient ventilation are easy in this scope to document. But that's just to give you a sense of what an accredited required criteria looks like. One of the accredited criteria that is optional, meaning there are the 25 required, and then you need to meet 80% of the other criteria. I think that's important for listeners to understand because they, they, they may be intimidated thinking, well, we don't do all this. 
outside of the required ones, you just got to do 80% of them. So you pick and choose. Right. I hate this expression because everyone uses it in every conference call, but pick and choose the low hanging fruit and, yep. and start from there and get the easy ones and then work towards the harder ones. Absolutely. And I always say that, I mean, this is a docu, this is an accreditation, right? So you have to be able to document your practices. So if you, you know, it says demonstrates use of alternative fuel fleet vehicles, super easy to document. We bought five last year as the purchase order, and this is why we use them. If something's more difficult to document, take the easier one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Some of them are like, does my operation have a mission statement or a vision statement? That's sure. You should have sure. one. And, and that's just, that's, here's the link to our website that has our mission. You know, that's, it's some of these are real, literally take five minutes to, to document less than that. So exactly. Some of them, exactly. yeah, you need to write an SOP and implement a practice that you should, should have probably already been doing related to auditing or whatever. And you're not, it's going to help your organization get stronger. It's going to bring them recognition and then it's going to almost that validation that hey look look at us we're doing the right thing and frankly isaiah a really good sop on ops on security on accounting a really good sop is going to satisfy so many of these requirements and it can be used that same document can be used over and over and over again that's another key point that people think and i have to create 200 sops no some Mm -mm. some have one well-written sop that covers every single one of these criteria I encourage you to get online, look at some of the criteria. And that leads to my question, Rachel, how can listeners that are curious about APO learn more? Okay. Well, it's super simple. Um, There's an entire section of our website dedicated to it. And it's parking-mobility.org slash APO. Once you're there, you can download a PDF manual for applicants and a program overview. And I encourage you to kind of like bounce around in there, download some documents. But of course, my contact information is there. And you can email us anytime with questions. Yeah. And then one thing I'd like to talk about, because I am an APO assessor. Man, I'm on a roll today. But kind of explain that process. So after someone's compiled all their data, uh, what's the role of the assessor? So the APO uh, site reviewer. I'm sorry, um, site reviewer. No worries. Um, It's a third-party review, meaning IPMI, you know, collects the application and then we will review the documentation, but there is a third-party site review. What that means is that you, the organization, will go out to the consultants that have already been trained to do this and hire someone to come out and review your documentation and basically sign off and say, yes, this is good to go. And then they physically review any premier facilities that you have. So every APO applicant must demonstrate at least one facility meets the criteria of APO. It means that you're doing all the good things on paper. You have all the policies and programs. And what that means is that it shines in your operation. It's not hard to do. That site reviewer would then walk through, document with photos, all that good stuff. That's a different process. And then that site reviewer submits that information to us. And of course, we have a wonderful IPMI APO board of directors. And that board also does a quality review of this process. It is intense, but it is completely doable. The clients that I've helped work through this, they'll they'll all state, you know, they if they could do it all over again, they they definitely do it again and again because it it's just great having that recognition, having that validation. Um, so I highly encourage everyone to check out the website. In fact, use the promo code the parking podcast to get seventy five percent off. I'm kidding. Hey, 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 now. <laughs> now get on there and uh, and check it out because it. I think every operation should be doing this to to make sure. Again, the biggest thing is. You're getting better. You're, you're implementing practices. 
that's going to improve your operation. It's going to lead to less loss in, in revenue. It's going to lead to increases in in sales and, and sustainability and just different things that maybe you never thought of. So there you have it. All right. And, you know, APO, we're talking about IPMI, but we recently switched from IPI to IPMI. Tell us about that. How has that gone? Of course, to MB and mobility, but tell us about the transition and, and what's next for IPMI. Absolutely. So it was actually a really organic change. Our members started blogging and writing and speaking about micromobility and the curb and TNCs and freight. And it was no longer just about parking and transportation. And believe me, that is a huge an industry unto itself. And, and it is so important to us. But our members started talking more broadly about these issues and saying, I am being called upon to tackle them in, in my day to day. So this was up and coming for, I'm going to say, two years. And finally, um, you know, we, we put a lot of thought into a shift and a rebrand and, and a name change. And IPMI board of directors and, and the staff decided to become IPMI and M being the mobility. And so, of course, we have a full mobility plan, but a lot of the pieces were already set in motion by our volunteers, by our writers for the magazine, and, and all those sorts of things. So I hope that folks have noticed, and I hope that folks, you know, will tell us what directions they'd like us to talk about. Obviously, we talk about curbside management all the time. And we will continue to because it is a valuable, valuable resource that we need to figure out how to manage better in the era of TNCs and Amazon and DoorDash and, and all that kind of stuff. So we're tackling those issues. Of course, we use the IPMI conference and expo every year. Of course, we're in San Antonio this year, starting in May and June. We use that as a platform to launch new content for our members. And then that continues year round. So we're doing a couple of things. I want to give you like a sneak peek. It's not all quite ready. Uh, yeah. But it's coming. Let's so you heard it here first, right? So first off, we have a mobility publication in the works that'll be featured case studies. Again, tales of innovation. Some of these same cities and then some others are going to tell their story through, through these case studies. So that mobility publication is expected this year and that'll be available for our members. We have to tell those stories. Our people are doing such amazing work. And by telling those stories, you know, you can say to another city, hey, I, I was thinking of doing that. Why, why can't I learn from what they've done? And the reality is that, that you can, and that we encourage you to. We also have a new online platform coming, the Mobility Resource Center, a robust, robust and searchable new resource for you on all things mobility. And you'll be able to go in there and just find all the information that you need. And so that is all coming down the pike. I've seen that, the, a teaser for that, the Mobility Resource Center. That's pretty cool. I think that's one thing of where you like search a keyword like scooters mm -hmm. and then it'll pop up like 500 articles on, on, yeah. on scooters. Yeah. So that's like that in addition cool. to our, we have a resource library that is like amazing and powerful, includes the magazine, includes blogs, includes all these resources. And that's awesome. That's there. That's already built. So if you haven't checked that out, please go check that out. This is a little bit different in that it's, the sense it's external resources from NACTO, from ITE, from ULI, from TRB, from DOT. Oh my gosh, it's acronym city. But other external resources that, you know what I mean, that you can draw from and learn from that will tie into some strategic partnerships that we're developing with academic research institutions. And that's just a snapshot. So I, I hope folks are, you know what I mean, going along for this journey with us. And I hope that you could give us feedback on, you know what I mean, that, that piece, that mobility piece how it's really tying in to parking, transportation, and mobility, and if we're hitting the nail on the head. 
because we want to be sure that we're providing the resources that our that our members need. Yeah, and I think that's one reason we added the M was for our members. You know, as I'm not saying parking going anywhere, but as we move towards autonomous vehicles in the distant future and these different mobility options, you know, we want to make sure our parking professionals are equipped to to expand and and be able to jump into areas of mobility so they have careers for a long time to come. And that's really cool. The three things, the smart city pavilions, the mobility publication, and the mobility resource center all coming soon. We're excited about it. All right, Rachel, I see from uh, your LinkedIn, you studied abroad in Japan. I think that's been, I probably had like four speakers that studied or lived in Japan for an experience. I did. The School of Foreign Service at Georgetown, you have to graduate with a fluency in a modern language. So of course, this is a very old story, but when I was in high school, I took Latin, which was wonderful, but didn't help That's a me great with that, business decision. With that. Well, I liked it and I think it was worthwhile. <laughs> um, so I enjoyed, I actually enjoyed Latin, but then when I went to college, I didn't have any proficiency in a modern language. So at the time, it's 92. And from a business decision, I was looking at Russian and Japanese. And I ended up going with Japanese because I felt that was a more up and coming language in Asia and all that kind of stuff. So I went and I signed up on my mother's advice, mind you. I signed up for the 7.15 a.m. Japanese class Monday through Friday. That was a poor decision. That's dedication <laughs> so, in college. No wonder why you didn't go to basketball games or anything fun. <laughs> right? So I went into this Japanese class literally with no background. And for the first three months, this, this very tiny Japanese woman screamed at me in Japanese and I had not a, a flipping clue what she was saying. But by the third year, I did my study abroad in Nagoya at Nanzan University, and I absolutely loved it. I stayed with a beautiful host family and uh, just terrific experience. I think the, the study abroad experience for people who have kids that are going through that college thing, it is one of a kind. You know? And I think that, that, that last piece, that immersion, because I do the Duolingo app. I've been trying to learn a new language, and I've been doing it for like three years and still don't know Spanish. <laughs> you got to. You got to be immersed. You got to move, relocate, or or whatever to so you're hearing it and having to communicate daily. It's the only way to break through. It's the only way. So yeah, and really I cool. um because I thought of it as and again I'm a kid, right? I thought of it as one of six or eight classes that I was taking or whatever. I wasn't approaching it as a way to communicate. And then I get over there and I'm like, oh, people use this. <laughs> it was a dumb realization. Like I had never thought about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But by the time I was done, you know, my, and I was only there half, half a year, I was dreaming in Japanese. I was, I had a job at a bar. I was doing all the things and it was, it was great fun. And I know you're watching Japanese films because uh, I think I dropped a Hayao Miyazaki reference once for my neighbor Totoro and, and, and mm -hmm. you caught it. And mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, Rachel's cool. She's, oh, she's yeah. cool. She got it. <laughs> Totoro, Totoro yeah. was one of the first movies my kids watched. And they watched it in Japanese because that was the version. Uh, yeah, I, I forced my kids to, to watch some of these as well. <laughs> All right. So when you're not parking cars, what do you like to do for fun? So I have actually been doing CrossFit for about three years. I love oh, boy. it. And I recently started hot yoga again. And I've been doing that since January. And those... Obviously, I hang out with my kids. I, I, you know, do all this stuff with them. But that's for me. You know, the CrossFit in particular is a ton of fun and has just changed my mind about a lot of things. A couple of years ago, it's actually more than a couple of years ago now. 
we had a whole group of the parking folks who did a Tough mutter. And I don't know if you remember that, but I think there were 12 of us and there are folks in the parking industry and Lily Lasso and Kim Jackson and Steve Rabora and Megan Liner. We all did this Tough mutter, And that was sort of my start to being wow. athletic. Because remember, I didn't even know what a basketball was, right? Um, back in college. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of what I do in my free time. I love it. I caught the CrossFit bug. I don't think there's anything more annoying to, to people that don't do CrossFit than to listening to people talk about CrossFit. But I started last year. I've been doing about, oh, seven, eight months. And I just kind of addicted, to be honest. But yeah, I love it. I go either after work or lunch or before work, just kind of changed up. But I'm training for the open, not to do anything special, just can I do it? Because last year I couldn't do muscle ups. It's where you kind of throw your body over on top of the rings and uh, pistols is kind of a one-legged squat. But there's certain things I couldn't do. And I, I, I don't like looking like an idiot. I don't like it doesn't matter what it is, but if, if I see something I'm not good at, I kind of become a little manic and I go crazy till I, I can do it all. So I'm focused and training and I'm going to knock it out of the park this year. Very cool. Very cool. No, I don't have muscle ups either, but I don't plan to have them by the open. Um, but like, for example, we're doing grace today, the benchmark workout grace. So that's um, so 30 clean and jerks is four times. So it's lifting a bar clean and jerks. to your shoulders, yes. over your head. What's the weight for, for ladies? 95? Uh, 135.95. Is 95, Grace is yeah. 135.95. So the, the yardstick is how fast can you do it? Oh, it's um, And I've never done it at 95 uh, before. So we'll see. A, we'll see. I think I can do it, but we'll see how long it, it might take me a while. <laughs> uh, so yeah. we'll see. Yeah, we'll uh, my see. mind was two minutes and 29 seconds. Very nice. But very nice. I am not going to tell you my number. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I, well, it's, I'm, I'm very... Uh, I'm not strong a lot of weight, but I could, I'm fast. I can do something like 135 a lot, but we are boring our listeners. So. Oh, well, that's just but too I, bad. There are CrossFitters out there who want to yeah, hear it yeah. and they're going to tell us about it too, but I will, oh, we, we can move on. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail, but yeah. no, that's really cool. And I know, yeah, spending time with you, with your kids, I've heard them on some conference calls where they, they've interrupted to ask you questions about Star Wars that I, I've helped answer for you. So exactly. I know that, that, that's exactly. great. So, no, Rachel, thank you so much. I think I've used this expression before, but if there's a Mount Rushmore of parking, you're on it. Just the oh, impact stop. that you, you've had on this. <laughs> I'm serious, on this industry. And you've kind of helped me, you know, in, in my career. I've never told you this, but I know you'll always use help. So I was just, you know, in my own little bubble and how can I help? And you kept plugging me in and kept increasing. And next thing you know, I'm writing chapters for the books. And that was all because of you. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Please leave us a review and tell a friend about our show. It would mean a lot. This has been a production of Synchronicity Media, produced by me, Isaiah Mao. Our music and score is by Zona. Our show art and design is by the talented Allison Gilly. You can follow us on social media at The Parking Podcast, or you can find our website with bonus content at parkingcast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, publishers of the industry's only soup-to-nuts textbook about all things parking. It's called A Guide to Parking, and several of our guests from previous episodes have contributed to this wonderful little textbook. Learn more and order your own copy at parking-mobility.org textbook. You said it yourself. You, you, don't even listen, you don't even listen to my podcast. I, I, knew you're, I know you're never going to let me forget it either. <laughs> <laughs>